1: Sequence star. Space nuts. 5, 4, 3, Space nuts. Astronauts report it
2: feels good. Hello, once again, thank you for joining us on the Space Nuts podcast. My name is Andrew Dunkley, your host, and joining me, as he does every week without fail, because he has no choice, is Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred.
0: <laughs> You're right. I have no choice whatsoever. <laughs> well, your
2: animals demand it. They really they good. enjoy they enjoy their fifteen minutes of fame, and
0: it is mandatory. Yes. Yes. Look, I've got um, a written uh, a written command to to do this every week uh, but yep. that's all right it's a lot of fun and um, and hopefully brightens up somebody's life
2: <laughs> well I think so we get we get um, some positive feedback yeah. uh, very few critics although um, you know they, they are there from time to time mostly correcting something I might have said <laughs> which is surprising in my game. But uh, anyway, uh, we we welcome all feedback, of course. Now today, Fred, we're going to look at the leaky International Space Station. It's um, (laughs) got a bit of an issue at the moment. Uh, We'll also be looking at the um, uh, ice moon of Europa. It looks like there's some uh, activity there involving the pole and, uh, uh, and something to do with the cracks in the surface. And some listener questions, uh, one about telescopes and atmosphere and whether or not we'd be better off doing our observations from somewhere else. Well, we, we do with Hubble. And the, um, uh, the the future um, orbiting telescopes that they're talking about, but um, yeah, could we establish something somewhere else? Perhaps that's a good thought. And uh, another uh, question from Will in Phoenix uh, about going to Mars via Venus. That's sort of like um, going to the United States from Australia via Europe, <laughs> which is the longest way to go. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll look into that. Uh, but first, Fred, what's happening on the International Space Station? Did somebody, um, you know, do too much heavy-duty sewing and stick a needle in it and the air's leaking out? What's going on?
0: Well, that's a great question. As as of the present time, as we're recording this, uh, the source of the leak has not yet been found. And I, I think Ooh. that the the three astronauts on board, whose names are Chris Cassidy Ivan Wagner and Anatoly Ivanishin uh, sorry Ivanishin two Russians and an American uh, I think they are all located in a sort of safe module you remember the international space station's got something like 12 individual modules that are all connected by airlocks um, the astronauts have been Uh, hanging out, kind of hanging out 24-7, actually, in a module, uh, one of the Russian segment modules, which is called Zvezda. Zvezda is a great word. It means star. Uh, And so they're in the star at the moment, I think. They may have come out. Um, So the idea was... And just give me, let me give you a bit of history. This leak apparently appeared quite a while ago, uh, but within the Mm -hmm. last few weeks has got significantly worse. It's still not at a level where anybody's panicking, but it does need to be found. Excuse me, uh, with my throaty frog again. Um, It needs to be found. And so the way to do it is to shut the astronauts in. Uh, a module that you think is in good shape and nothing happening there, Uh, and then sort of pressurise each of the other modules uh, in turn to look at the one that has the, the, the leak rate that you're looking for. Um, and as far as I know, that has not yet been found. Um, it, you know, it's one of the. This is one of these things that moves very quickly. By the time this podcast goes to air, it may well have been found, and the panic might be over. But is, uh, is this the same leak that
2: we talked about some time ago? Because they, they've had this happen before, haven't oh, they?
0: And it's really interesting you should mention that because that is also in a in a sense in the news. You might remember that um, a leak this is two years ago actually exactly two years ago andrew uh, a leak was discovered in um, the service module of one of the Soyuz return spacecraft so this is a module that is used for habitation while it's on the space station it's pressurized but actually burns up in the atmosphere Uh, it doesn't make it to the ground it's one of the disposable modules but you might remember that a two millimeter hole was found in it with marks made by a drill uh, from the inside. So that hole was drilled from the inside. Uh, yeah, it was a big mystery. Well, it remains a mystery. Um, let me see if I can find the press release about this, because it's really interesting. Um, the the Russian space agency, Roscosmos, uh, basically uh, put in a major investigation about this to find out when it happened. Did it happen... On the ground, Did, was it a mistake? Was it intentional? Was it somebody on the space station itself who drilled a hole because they wanted to get home quickly or something like that because they were going stir-crazy in the space station? Mm. Those were all questions that were raised. Um, and there has been a development which actually took place uh, late last year. Um, so the, apparently Roscosmos now knows what happened but they're not telling anybody. (laughs) Oh, really? And and that's based on uh, comments by the head of Roscosmos, the head of the Russian Space Agency, whose name is Dmitry Rogotsin. He was talking at a youth science uh, conference, and uh, he's quoted as saying, the hole was in the living quarters of the capsule. It has long since burned up on re-entry. We took all the samples. We know exactly what happened, but we won't tell you anything. We do need to retain some sort of secrecy. <laughs> and apparently, people think that was a tongue-in-cheek thing. But NASA doesn't know what happened. Um, it's, um, you know it it it's so the Russian space agency clearly has done an uh, an investigation, found out what it was, but nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all. Oh, I'm busting to find
2: out now. Yeah, well, I think everybody is. Um, apparently, Fascinating uh, and a little bit creepy all at the same time.
0: Yeah, this press release says uh, something is along the lines Roscosmos. Sorry, I'm reading from a press release here, which I should quote comes from Science Alert. Um, Roscosmos con- continued to conduct its investigation. And the news agency reported that it was a mistake made during manufacturing, which Rogotsin, the head of Roscosmos, swiftly denied. Uh, What caused the hole is yet to be officially revealed. Whether or not Rogotsin's remarks were tongue-in-cheek, the results of the investigation have yet to be communicated. Now, remember, this is last September, so that that might have happened, Uh, but have yet to be communicated with NASA. According to the US agency's administrator, Jim Bridenstine, they have not, Told me anything he said. I don't want to let one item set the relationship back, but it's clearly not acceptable that there are holes in the international space station. And he, he would he, nah. he said he would also speak with uh, with uh, Dmitry Rogotsin and that might have happened. They might have sorted it all out. Uh, but that's, yeah. Well, well-
2: well, maybe maybe Roscosmos is remaining silent because they're negotiating a deal on movie rights. <laughs> Could be. That's right. Anyway. Hey, they're, they're trying to get money from all and sundry. I guess a movie would probably yeah, rake it yeah. in. Who drilled a hole in the space station?
0: Or it's not even... you. Yeah. That's but a they...
2: good title. But that's got nothing to do with what's happening
0: at the moment. Well, oh, that's right. Uh, because that that hole uh, <laughs> disappeared in uh, as this, as that capsule burned up. But the uh, so uh, as far as I am aware from everything I've read, the present hull is thought to be in one of the main modules of the space station. Now, the space station leaks all the time, apparently. Uh, you know, it would be absolutely impossible to make something that big absolutely uh, airtight against the vacuum of space. I've worked in vacuum technology, and no ma- just as soon as you turn your back, you've got a leak somewhere. It happens all the time. So... It's, it's a, 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 I think, a masterful accomplishment that they've managed to keep it as airtight as they do. So it, it is constantly being replenished, but they, you know, they, they clearly monitor the leak rate, and at the moment it is a, at a level that's not considered acceptable, even though it's not dangerous. It's well within safety considerations, but not acceptable. Well, maybe they
2: should do what they did in Mission to Mars and just squeeze out some Dr Pepper and it'll just suck its way through the void and voila they'll find the hole.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe that's right. I mean, you know, it's like um you probably remember how you find a hole in a tire in a tube. You put it in water and look for the bubbles. Unfortunately, you can't do anything like that. So it is it's a difficult problem, but um uh, anyway, one that we will we will keep the Space Nuts Space Nuts audience up to date on. <laughs>
2: How far does it have to go before it becomes a critical situation? Uh, if they're in a safety zone now, that suggests
0: there are concerns. Yeah. Oh, the concern is, you know, you don't want it to get worse. So we'll see. We should... And yet that, that's what's happened. It is It has, it has actually worsened. Yes, that's right. Uh, I, I, I think some weeks ago it got worse, and that's why this, this procedure is taking place.
2: Hmm. So it just makes me think of more and more questions, Fred, but uh, if they're sort of sitting in, as you called it, the star for safety reasons, do they never come out or do they pop out occasionally to, you know, cook a roast? What What do
0: they do? I, I don't know the answer to that. As far as I know, they've, they're sealed in there. Um, they've certainly spent more time in there than they expected. It was going to be just this week, uh, last weekend. Good grief. Yeah. All right. Um, it's it, it,
2: Yeah, it's a very, very difficult situation because they're the only ones that can really investigate it, aren't they? Um, uh, Unless you send another team up there, which is very expensive to do, but we're talking human lives here, so you can't just say, "Oh no, she'll be right, mate." Although
0: that's what Australians. much Much of the investigation will be done from the ground um you know you can't go but they've got they've got the telemetry to actually I think that's right
2: yeah on.
1: yeah
2: ah oh, interesting all right well hopefully soon we'll we'll find out what it is why it happened and hopefully they can fix it with a bit of chewing gum or something and all will be okay
0: they used um, epoxy and sticky tape the last time so that's probably what they do this time too <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, um, uh, this one this yeah, one's got- that reminds me of a radio. Yeah, sorry, I was going to start go It's got to be more permanent because that last one was in a module that was going to burn upon reentry, anyway. Ah, uh, yes, of course.
2: Yeah, this is in uh, a main area, yeah. but it uh, reminds me of a radio station I worked for once. I was looking at the control panel, and the technician came out. He said, "Oh, he said it's a wonder of science that I said why." He said, "Most of it's held together with chicken wire." I said what? He said, "Yeah, the radio station's wired with with chook fencing." <laughs> I said, "You're kidding." He said, "The best stuff. Yeah. The best stuff. It does the job." <laughs> and I'm looking at this, and I thought, "Oh my goodness." Anyway, um, we 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 stayed on air until a council uh, motor mower went through our cable, which had never been buried, and knocked us off air for two weeks because the part was in America. No, there you it go. blew up the transmitter. Mm. But that's um, a very different problem to the one they have on the International Space Station. So hopefully uh, in the not-too-distant future we will have uh, positive news on that scenario. You're listening to Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and, of course, Professor Fred Watson. Okay, we checked all four systems and came with a go. Space Nuts. Once again, uh, I'd like to shout out to all our supporters that um, use social media to uh, get in touch with us, uh, whether you're listening via our YouTube channel and uh, listening non-stop you can press play and listen to all episodes without taking a breath I'd like to see you try that actually they're trying it on the International Space Station in fact uh, uh, we also um, uh, would like to uh, thank our Space Nuts podcast group because uh, that's a group where everybody gets together and talks to each other and asks each other questions there's some be some ripper questions uh, going around lately um, so uh, it's a good good place to be if you're a Space Nuts fan so you can meet other space nuts fans. Of course, we've got an official Facebook page as well, and you can find us on uh, most social media platforms. If um, if you have a favourite, Instagram, Twitter, etc. So um, thanks to uh, uh, thanks for supporting us on the social media platforms where uh, we make our presence felt. Now, uh, Fred, uh, we're going to look at the icy moon of Jupiter known as Europa. This is one that uh, they've they've certainly looked at as a potential place for um, searching for life. It's also uh, well known for its uh, incredible cracks and and, uh, amazing surface. But uh, now it's in the news for a completely different reason. What's going on now?
0: Uh, It's analysis of the cracks and fractures um, which have been recorded by various spacecraft, including Galileo and Voyager. Um, This is work uh, that has been done actually at the Lunar and Planetary Institute. So it's effectively come from a reanalysis of these old uh, images because we now have you know such wonderful image processing software that you can actually tease out details that um, weren't obvious. So the cracks in the surface and they are really quite extraordinary when you see them close up. They're yeah, you know they've they've, they've got real structure to them. Some are some are cracks and some are, are sort of double ridges. But the, these scientists at the Lunar and Planetary Institute have examined them uh, in detail and discovered something. Quite dramatic, um, which confirms first of all what it does is confirms the uh, the picture we have of Europa, which is of a rocky object overlain with a global ocean of water over the top of which is a layer of ice a common mm. a common structure that uh, out there in the outer solar system that you and I 've talked about a lot, but what that means uh, is that the the surface that you see is kind of decoupled from the body itself because the, the, the majority of the mass of, the, of uh, Europa is in the rocky core of it. Uh, the overlying ocean and the ice over that is a relatively small proportion of its mass. Um, and so the, the, the surface can sort of wander around independent oh. of the, the body itself. Now, we see that, uh, we see that clearly on Titan, Um, If you're on Titan, uh, there is a a wonder of the surface relative to the the core of Titan, which means that your longitude changes, which is not something that happens on Earth. Uh, When you're at a given longitude, you're there for good, unless you move, of course. But on Titan, you can stay still, but your longitude still changes because of the the, the fact that the, the, the surface kind of wanders backwards and forwards slightly as it orbits Saturn. So that would make satellite navigation a lot of fun. Yeah, that's right. It just adds a whole new dimension when when the surface that you're on isn't really representative of the whole of the object that you you know that, that you're talking about. So uh, yes, yeah, so the surface of Europa floats on the ocean, and what these scientists have done is basically done a statistical analysis on all these cracks. Uh, and they can they can they can find um, sort of global scale circular patterns, um, which probably formed when that icy shell, uh, the the icy surface that we see, has actually been reorientated. Uh, it's 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 a process. It has a name. It's called true polar Wonder. Uh, and it means, you know, the, the pole has, has wandered on the surface. Actually, it's the other way around. It's the surface that's wandered, wandered with respect to the pole. Um, but uh, so th- the evidence is very strong that the within the last, and this is quite recent, of course, within the last few million years, um, the, the icy surface of Europa has tipped over by about seventy degrees. That's a colossal amount. It's nearly a. That is huge. Yeah. Um, But, of course, you know, that is, again, it's further evidence for the fact that the the ice surface is floating free uh, from the rocky core. And so it's a really remarkable result uh, and confirms what we think the structure of Europa is. Remember, Europa... Has also shown signs, measured, I think, by the Hubble Space Telescope, of having ice geysers near its south pole, just like Enceladus, the, the moon of Saturn, but not quite as, uh, as prolific as the ones on Saturn, on Saturn's moon.
2: Hmm. Uh, I mean, we we do see something similar on Earth because our poles move, and they have to re-op- re re um, calibrate where they are. Uh, every 12 months or so, and I think you and I talked about the fact that the North Pole had moved a fairly dramatic amount over a short period of time, but it's not for the
0: same reason, is it? It's It's a very different circle. That's the magnetic pole, Andrew. It's not the the rotation pole. Um, So the Earth's rotation pole does wander around, um, but only over distances of a few metres, 10 metres at the most. Uh, So standing on the North Pole (laughs) or the South Pole, uh, at any given time, uh, you probably couldn't say within a a few centimetres exactly where the pole was because it wanders around. Um, Mm. You're quite right, though, the magnetic poles actually have much... Bigger excursions, and uh, yeah, the North Magnetic Pole is currently zooming across past Siberia, if I remember rightly, as you and I have spoken yeah. about. Um, so yeah, but so this is the real pole, the rotational pole, uh, and um, the reason why it happens on Earth is because of all the stuff sloshing around in the in our molten core. It's a different phenomenon from what we're talking about here. On Europa, the reason why it's happened on Europa is because uh, it's got a solid core, but on the top of it is this thing that just floats around. And, and in some ways, it's amazing that it doesn't do this kind of thing more often. You know, you might you might imagine that if the surface is decoupled from the from the centre, um, the surface could do whatever it likes. Uh, but there is clearly some stability in there that that. Um, that 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 keeps it reasonably aligned over long periods. Remarkable. Would that be,
2: yeah. gravity or something uh, that that that's holding it in place? It sounds like it's not continuously sliding around on yeah. itself, so oh. it, it, it has periods of of non movement.
0: Yes, yeah, so but over
2: it, time, it sounds like it's really swung around a few times.
0: It, it is to do with gravity, and it's um you know it's all I guess it's if you think of it as being like a flywheel. Uh, You know the the, thing—the core is rotating. Uh, The it's coupled by the ocean to the surface. The ocean uh, is fluid, but it's still got some friction to it. So the, the the surface wants to follow the rotation of the core. But maybe from time to time there are events that happen, and there will be gravitational events, I'm sure, uh, which cause that coupling to be less strong and, and you get the surface falling over by 70 degrees. A uh, remarkable story.
2: Quite incredible. I suppose the, uh, the power of the gravitational effect from
0: Jupiter would have... Something to do with it, exactly. perhaps. That's right, because um, Europa's pretty near Jupiter. That's right. So there's a tidal effect there. Yeah. Maybe, uh, you know, there is a mission planned called Europa Clipper. Uh, that's uh, a, a, a one in prospect for some years down the track. I think it's actually uh, it will get there before the end of the decade and that will because it's an orbiting spacecraft uh, europa clipper will send us highly detailed maps of these cracks and uh, ridges and we might know a lot more about what's happened uh, on europa uh, after we've seen them so it's something to look forward to absolutely
2: yeah fascinating place and of course the prospect of, uh, of potential life forms in its oceans yep. always uh, always an exciting prospect mm. That's right. Okay. You're listening to the Space Nuts podcast uh, with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson.
0: Three, two, one.
2: Space Nuts. As always, I'd like to say thank you to our patrons, the people who financially support this podcast uh, through their uh, own generosity and off their own bat. It's not a necessity, but if uh, it's something you're interested in investigating, you can do it through um, uh, several platforms. Now we uh, have a Uh, an account through patreon.com. So patreon.com slash space nuts, where you can uh, sign up for as little as $3 a month. Uh, You can also do that through Supercast. And we've got package deals on Supercast and you can do uh, the first 30 days Uh, without having to pay a cent. Uh, You can also do it uh, through our Acast platform. That's our major platform for distribution of the podcast. They have a um, a donation service there as well. You can find all the details on our website, uh, spacenutspodcast.com. But thank you to our patrons. And as a patron, of course, you get an early edition of the release of every episode uh, commercial free. And we often uh, add bonus material so that you can um, have that, uh, as well. And if uh, patrons ask us questions, we, uh, we answer those exclusively. So uh, all sorts of good reasons to become a patron. But as I said, it's voluntary. You don't have to do it. We are not going to force you. But um, uh, thanks to those who have already uh, joined uh, the, the long growing list of patrons. Now, Fred, it is question time and we've got a couple of audio questions today. Uh, This first one um, is uh, from somebody unidentified, but we've kind of figured out they're Australian, so we're going to call him Aussie. And here is his question.
0: Hi, guys. My question is about telescopes and the atmosphere. uh, In that, has a measurement been developed for how... Good. The image is through an atmosphere. Would it be better on another surface, say the Moon or a planet or another moon of another planet? Um, has measurements been done anywhere else other than the Earth? Um, so, sort of when we get to Mars or things like that, would we be able to make better use of telescopes on those uh, in those places? Uh, great show. Keep up the good work. A uh, long time listener. Thanks, guys.
2: Thank you. We'll can call you Aussie, um, um, but thank you for the question. And he uh, brings up an interesting point, And you and I have discussed before, Fred, uh, the issues of um, you know the atmosphere making certain observations uh, difficult from the surface of the planet. Um, but some of that was overcome with the Hubble Space Telescope and uh, will also be overcome even more by the James Webb Telescope. But what about setting up telescopes on the Moon or on Mars uh, or, or something like that? Would would there be advantages in that in the future?
0: Um, I, it will happen, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, there are already uh, telescopes on the Moon, the, um, the Chinese... Uh, now, which one was it? I've forgotten the name of it, but it had the U-2-1 rover, I've uh, forgotten the name of the spacecraft itself. Uh, um, U-2-1, was it Tiangong? Can't remember. Anyway, uh, that had a, a, an ultraviolet telescope on it that was looking at, stars from the surface of the moon and making measurements uh very interesting stuff Uh, what interested me about this question though was the first sentence uh about whether a measurement's been discovered sorry a measurement has been developed for how good the image is through an atmosphere and it has Mm. uh we and it's been there for about 200 years uh, 300 years maybe um astronomers uh certainly in optical and infrared astronomy, uh, visible light and infrared astronomy, they have a, a parameter which is called the seeing. And the seeing is basically a measurement of the diameter of a star image, which should be a point of light, but when it comes down through the atmosphere, it's blurred out. Uh, in fact, it turns into a, when you look in you know, real detail, at the image uh, of a star through the atmosphere. It's this kind of um, wobbling football. It's just, uh, it's in constant motion because of the atmosphere itself being in movement. And it's sometimes, you know, it's blown up in size. So uh, at Siding Spring Observatory, uh, which is certainly one of the best sites in Australia, a mountaintop site, not very far from where you live, Andrew. Uh, that, yeah, uh, you took me up there one day and it was bitterly cold. It was so cold up there. Yeah, yeah that, well, that tends to be what happens on mountains. <laughs> anyway, um, it, it, the seeing is typically one to one and a half arc seconds. That's, that's reasonably good seeing. Uh, so an arc second is one 3,600th of a degree, uh, the, the size of a dime or a dollar coin at uh, five kilometers. It's a tiny angle, um, but it should be less than that. If there was no atmosphere, it would be simply a point of light. Um, mm. So one and a half, one to one and a half arc seconds is reasonable seeing. Uh, on In bad weather, it can blow up to... 10 arc seconds, and that what that means is your light is so um, diluted that you hardly see anything. Um, However, on the best observing sites in the world, it's much less than that. In Chile, they get seeing down to a third of an arc second. Um, m- much better than we get because the atmospheric conditions are better. So that is the measurement. There is another one that's related to that, and it tells us a little bit more about the structure of the atmosphere. It's something that we call R naught, and R naught is the characteristic size of a of a cell of warmer or cooler air. Um, it's it's a measurement, and it's usually measured, you know, it's of the order of a metre, something like that. Uh, and, on a site with very good seeing, it might be much more than a metre, uh, but for somewhere like the Siding Spring, it's probably less than a metre. Uh, it's, it's the size of a blob of air that's going past the... Uh, a warmer or cooler air that's going past the, the telescope. And the reason why that's important is that we now have the ability to correct for that with this technique called adaptive optics. Um, so you can sense, actually using lasers usually, but you can sense the the passage of these blobs of air across the the, the, the mirror of the telescope. Usually, at, at, at all kinds of altitudes, low altitudes, high altitudes, uh, the whole thing. Uh, you can you can check what that movement is and then correct for it. You can essentially take out the distortion in much the same way as noise cancelling headlo- uh, headphones take out the, uh, the, the the extraneous noise around you. It's a, it's a cancelling technique. And it's now really reached a stage of perfection that's taken 20 or 30 years to get there. But it's enough <clears throat> that it makes it worthwhile building huge ground-based telescopes on the Earth. So we've got the the Giant Magellan Telescope coming up, 23 metre effectively. We've got the TMT, the 30 metre telescope coming up, and we've got the ELT, the European Extremely Large Telescope, which will have a mirror 39 metres in diameter. That will far outstrip the Hubble in terms of the detail it will see because of this adaptive optics technique. So we've figured out how to essentially eliminate the deleterious effects of the atmosphere. That's... that's um, the blurring effect. There is one effect that you can't get rid of, though, and that is that the atmosphere absorbs certain wavelengths, in particular in the ultraviolet, and that's been one of the great strengths of the Hubble telescope. It's above the atmosphere, so it's very sensitive to the ultraviolet uh, region of the spectrum, Uh, and you can't deal with that on the ground. You've got to go into space for that, and maybe the Moon, maybe Mars, Mars, it's probably cheaper to put something in orbit around the Earth or in orbit around the Sun, which is what we've been doing uh, but eventually when uh, you know when humans are uh, walking on Mars and walking on the moon, we probably will have telescopes there too so I suppose when we do ultimately um,
2: you know have telescopes maybe on the moon maybe on Mars if they do go that way will it Make much difference to our perspective as we see things from Earth, given the the scope and size of the universe. Will will would it be a you know, minuscule variation?
0: Yes, um, you, you, the, sitting on Mars is the same as sitting on the Earth as far as the universe is concerned, um, because even you know you're not even far enough really to see a difference in the positions of the nearby stars. Um, there is one, there's, there's been one um, example, though it's a great question, Andrew, uh, about um, two months ago, New Horizons, the New Horizons spacecraft observed uh, a star which was simultaneously observed from Earth. And the the baseline of those two observations, because New Horizons is now, I can't remember how far, it's seven or eight billion kilometers away. So there you've got a huge baseline uh, to, you know, for, a, for a, what we call a parallax measurement, the, the idea that you're looking from one position and another uh, to, to see how a star, a nearby star, changes relative to its background. And so some of the... Um, there was both the Southern Hemisphere star and the Northern Hemisphere observed with those observations. It was remarkable. Uh, you could see the difference because the uh, spacecraft is so far away from Earth.
2: Interesting. Very good. And, Ozzy, thanks for the question. Um, the short answer is yes.
1: Um,
2: we could have just done that, I suppose, but um, wouldn't have been nearly as interesting. But appreciate the question. Thanks for throwing it up. Uh, now let's um, move on uh, to our next question from uh, Will in Phoenix.
1: Hello, Andrew. Hello, Fred. Uh, my name is Will. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, in the United States. Um, I saw an article recently, they were talking about the travel time from Earth to Mars, uh, and they were saying in the article that it is possible to get to Mars faster if you swing by Venus first, and then on your way back home from Mars, you swing back by Venus. Um, I've been playing a lot of Kerbal Space Program, which is like an orbital mechanic simulator, And I don't quite understand how that would work. Uh, And I would love if you guys could try to explain to me how going into the inner solar system more gets you to the outer part of the solar system faster. Anyway, love the show. Thank you very much.
2: Okay. Well, thank you. And um, um, I hope uh, all is well in Phoenix, Arizona. I've I've actually stepped on Phoenix soil very, very briefly in my... uh, Uh, various trips i spent Uh, a week there (laughs) Uh, yeah i I was there for i think i was in phoenix um, for a couple of days at the most uh now um it's an interesting question is it quicker to get to mars via venus uh we've got three missions going to mars at the moment i'm assuming none of them are going via Mm -hmm. venus or are they they did a slingshot around earth to get some speed up and and get out um,
0: but, uh, yeah, how, how would this work? Um, it, so I don't know the answer directly, but I'm pretty sure that Will is right. It is very unlikely uh, that going in to swing by Venus and then get to Mars would get you there faster. It it, it, it kind of intuitively you can imagine it being possible, but you'd never use it because... Uh, With, you know, when you're going to to Mars, as you and I have spoken about before, Andrew, there are only certain times when you can make the journey, when Mars and the Earth are in the right relative position, and now is one of them, which is why we've just sent off three spacecraft to Mars uh, within the last month or so. Um, If you were having to swing by Venus as well, you've got to wait, you, you don't just have to wait until Mars is in the right position relative to Earth. You've got to wait until both Mars and Venus are in the right position too, and that could mean you're waiting for years uh, because you've just you know you you don't have that opportunity. It's every two years or so that we we can go directly to Mars. So um, maybe it's possible. Maybe you could do it faster, but you wouldn't want to do it because of all the delays. Um, it's great to hear that uh, Will's been playing with the Kerbal Space Program. My son, my son also called Will, uh, used to play with that. Um, a few years ago, and I was always really impressed with how that works it 's a as as will says it 's an orbital mechanics simulator you can build your own rockets you, but it, it all works according to the laws of gravity so it 's a great way to learn about space navigation uh, and you know v- a very effective tool um, i 'd recommend any techie minded youngster who 's interested in space exploration actually has a look with the Kerbal space program because it it's, it, it works very well, uh, so if will 's not managed and, and this is our listener will rather than my son will if he hasn 't managed to recreate a, a slingshot uh, t- from from Mars uh, sorry from Venus to get to mars um, it 's probably not possible uh, okay. it 's a really interesting question though i, I you know what. It, it, it is counterintuitive to go into the inner solar system uh, to build up speed to get to the outer solar system, but it, 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 you know, thinking about it, it may, it might just be possible that you could shave a short amount off the time. But as I said, the killer would be having to wait until everything's in the right relative position i think that makes it a complete non-starter uh so yeah will's right (laughs) and as you and i've discussed with the mission
2: to mercury um going towards the sun is actually a much more complicated process than going away from it and uh, that kind of makes me think trying to do a slingshot around venus to get to mars is um probably
0: not that simple no it's not that sort of thing's been done i think uh Cassini had slingshots around Venus on its way to Saturn. I think that is right. I might be wrong there. I'm dredging up from a memory of several years ago, but uh it can be done. You can use the inner planets to slingshot you to the outer planets. Uh but once again, it you know everything's got to be in the right place. You know, you've got to have the alignments. Um set up for you by nature, which is uh, not something you cannot sometimes wait for. You, so probably the in the last analysis, most of our future journeys to Mars, as all the past journeys have been, will be the direct ones. Mm. Simple, um, simple home and transfer ellipse, to give it its time. Yes.
2: Now, Fred, uh, I, I am willing to stand corrected on this, but late um, these last few nights, I've looked out over a... Uh, uh, a little hill to the east of uh, of Dubbo, which is the only hill we've got, uh, and I've noticed a red spot above it. Is that Mars?
0: At uh, what time have you been seeing that? And- oh, around ten pm, nine thirty, ten. Yep. It's, I think it's Mars. I think it's probably right. Yes, I thought it was. It's just a very
2: distinct red, and we've reached that um, that, that that annual event the the, um, the spoof email that's telling everybody oh, that's... that Mars is as big as the moon in the night sky. It's an absolute scam. But yeah. it's been going going for about a decade. That one, possibly longer.
0: More, I think it was. Um, if I remember rightly, it was two thousand and three when that close approach took place. So yes. yes. The hoary old one, is that?
2: <laughs> yeah. So if you if you receive an email saying that the that Mars is going to be in the sky as big as the moon, it's a trick. I mean, it's a very clean joke. There's you know, no one will get hurt, uh, or or their bank accounts won't be emptied. But it's a spoof email that's been going around for yeah, probably seventeen years now, um, and it's every, still circulating.
0: Yeah, it's every twenty seventh of August, I think, if I remember rightly, which was when the opposition took place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Uh, and Anyway, Will, thank
2: you so much for your question. Really appreciate it. Uh, interesting. Very interesting indeed. Uh, f- uh, and, Fred, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Space Nuts podcast. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Andrew,
0: too, and let's keep up the good work and we'll speak again soon.
2: (laughs) We will indeed. Uh, uh, Fred Watson, uh, astronomer at large, part of the team here on the Space Nuts podcast. And don't forget, if you would like to ask a question, you can email or message us or you can go to our website and click on the AMA tab and record your message uh, as long as you've got a microphone on your device uh, just press record tell us who you are where you're from and ask your question it's simple simple as that uh, space dot and click on the ama tab to um to record a question while you're there you can check out astronomy daily you can go to our shop where you can buy all the bits and pieces t-shirts polo shirt, shirts uh, uh, coffee mugs <laughs> all sorts of memorabilia, and we've even got our bookshop there where uh, all Fred's uh, highly intellectual books are and my pretty dumb (laughs) um, weirdo books are there as well. No, that's not fair on my grandfather because I wrote a book about him, but um, that one I'll stand by. The rest of them are just for fun. But uh, you can check it all out on the Space Nuts podcast uh, website. And uh, until next time, thank you again. We look forward to your company on a future edition of the Space Nuts podcast.
1: Space Nuts. You'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast.
2: Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at
1: bites.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.